how to start? Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're bottom. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to the Creative Principles Podcast. I'm your host, Brock Swinson. Over the past 200-plus episodes, I've had the good fortune of speaking with dozens of screenwriters, actors, and directors, such as Aaron Sorkin, Mel Brooks, Carrie Fukunaga, Whitney Cummings, Michael Imperioli, and William Monaghan, among others. We've dissected ideas on story, character, filmmaking, habits, and various principles for creative life. If this is your first time listening, make sure to hit that subscribe button on iTunes or SoundCloud. You can also find several of these interviews on the Creative Screenwriting Magazine website, in addition to some that aren't available in audio, such as with Nick Kroll or Stephen Merchant. In addition to the podcast, also make sure to search for the new video essay series on YouTube, also called Creative Principles, where we take a deep dive into movies and television. Join millions of viewers for subjects like the 16 personalities expressed as characters, Did Home Alone, Rowan John Hughes' Career, The Greatest Movie Never Made, and How Jackie Chan Creates Perfection Through Failure, among many more. That's Creative Principles on YouTube. And now episode 266, Price James. While his Central St. Martin's classmates were learning InDesign, Price wanted to learn to shoot on a 16mm Bolex and explore more tangible film effects. Soon he was working on dark comedy shorts like Action Man, Battlefield Casualties, which stars Matt Berry, and music videos for bands like Incubus. In his latest movie, You Cannot Kill David Arquette, the writer-director partnered with David Dark for an unusual idea about the rocky return of actor David Arquette to the sport of wrestling, which nearly ruined his Hollywood career decades ago. In this interview, Price talks about his roundabout path to DIY filmmaking, stop motion versus animation, how to create a heightened reality for a documentary, and how to explore brutal ideas in filmmaking satire. I studied, um, I actually studied graphic design at Central St. Martins in London, which is kind of a known sort of fashion and uh, design college. And um, I was always, in, I mean, I was kind of into scrapbooks and model making as a kid. And I was always, um, I guess I went through like miniatures and animation. Um, and basically after three weeks at St. Martins, I realized, oh man, graphic design is basically a, it's an office job. And I don't know if this is for me now, because I was very much into sort of experimental stuff and like uh, silk screen and sort of handmade letterpress or very sort of tangible hands-on sort of energetic mediums, I guess. Um, so the idea of just sitting at a computer, I didn't even own a computer until I was about 24. And so I went through an entire degree not having a computer where, you know, I, I didn't even know how to, I didn't have an email until I was 22. <laughs> so I was quite a Luddite. And then I, I befriended the AV technician called Steve Radnell, an absolute legend to this day. And I befriended him and he started lending me his personal uh, films on like Jan Sankmeyer and all these kind of experimental, you know, sort of uh, animators from, from Europe. And then he sort of, he lent me a 16 millimeter Bolex. And so whilst 
everyone was sort of doing their quark and InDesign layouts. I was just basically fucking around with a Bolex camera and making little films and animations. And I sort of did my own path, really. And without him, and he wasn't a tutor, he was just a technician. And he was like, I I learned more from him than anyone I've ever learned in my life. And, you know, I I actually thanked him two years ago when when I got, um, we sort of got greenlit on on the movie. Like, hey man, thank you so much. And he was, you know, oh, that's really, that's so cool to to know. No one ever thanks me. <laughs> but uh, yes, yeah, so it's kind of a. That, I guess that was the, that's the long way round. Um, Did that kind of help you, like, skip some steps? It seemed like if you were learning animation, you'd be learning like individual shapes or something like that in a computer. Versus if you're doing something more like stop motion, you're actually getting the actual shots and those type of things. Did you kind of see it that way? Did you see it more as like directing? Yeah, basically that. But I didn't know, even know what it was called. I was just, I wasn't, I knew I had a couple of friends who were a bit older than me who were very much, um, I'm going to be a director. I want to make music videos and things like that. And I sort of fell into that, into making music videos after college, um, just because I was in a musician. I was a musician in a band. I played with a guy called Tom Veck in my early 20s and we sort of toured, toured the world. And it was like a great, great two years, you know, sort of a British music, uh, sort of when indie was doing sort of funk, punk, like rapture style block party music. And we got signed to Island Records and I had a two year journey that was amazing, all the cliches. And then after that, I was like, oh, I still want to be involved. I broke my finger on tour and I couldn't play lead guitar anymore. And then I, it kind of came through the back door. But I guess as far as directing, I, I guess, yeah, stop motion was definitely, you could physically put a camera somewhere. And I think that was always my, um, I guess it was, was always my interest. I was always sort of lent more into that kind of like energy, like stop motion was also quite slow, but I got really into human pixelation. So you can move humans really quickly. Um, and my very first music video was that. And it got me, it got me to do another music video, which was in like, action and then my third one got me signed to rsa which is like ridley scott associates so it happened all very quickly i didn't really know what i was doing i, I still don't really know what i'm doing <laughs> but you know it's like we have these like I, I, i'm always jealous of people who have these very determined paths and they kind of have their goal and they get there and i'm i sort of meandered through lots of different uh, lots of different things through music and you know animation and uh you know cooking and lots of lots of uh Lots of different things, really. All very hand, all very tangible, I guess. That's kind of my thing. It was very, um, I like operating cameras myself and doing the art department myself. And, you know, sort of, uh, I guess it's more the DIY. It's that kind of era I came from. It was just, you know, cameras were getting a bit more digital and you could, you didn't have to light, which was always terrifying to me because I'm sort of numerically a bit dyslexic. So, like, lighting a scene and, um, getting the light meter was terrifying to me. So as soon as you have a digital uh, camera with a, with a live display, it was like, oh, well, I like that. That's good. Let's shoot that. Well, tell me about your short. I think the, the short you did, Action Man, uh, Battlefield Casualties, where did that come from? And what, where did that kind of, um, the idea and the partnership there? Well, that was um, sort of serendipitously, that was, uh, my friend Darren Cullen, he made these amazing toys. He was the drummer in a band called Shit Disco, which was the third music video 
that got me signed to RSA, I did. And he sort of ended up being this kind of outsider artist. He made these amazing toys, and I went to his exhibition, and I was like, dude, I really want to make a film with these. We'll make some TV commercials for it, make it really fucked up. Um, he was really, obviously really into the idea, and then um, he wrote an amazing voiceover, and after the storyboarding, we basically shot it, and it did really well. I got Matt Berry to do it. Matt Berry's like my hero. Um, and I guess it all happened quite quickly. And that, that actually, that short film is what got me in the room to do the sort of Arquette movie, because I guess of the sort of the sort of the parallels with kind of action movie parody, even though it's a lot darker in subject matter. The sort of I guess the tropes and the sort of the sort of satire of the the tropes is what I'm sort of so interested in, and that's something they realised could be really interesting. Um, but yeah, that the. The Action Man short is one of the, my favorite things I've ever done, and it's still getting some love. We've got like like seven million views, and we we keep it keeps getting bigger and bigger. I think we've I think we're on some like Adult Swim algorithm on YouTube or something. We don't know we don't know why it was like it was killing at like one and a half million just before the pandemic, and then it's like gone to like seven million now, and I'm you know people are starting to um. Uh, notice and we're actually in production uh, in pre-production for uh, the barbie version which is going to be pretty amazing and it's you know the subject matter is still very serious very dark but done with a very kind of uh i guess sort of satirical slant it's all uh body activism and social media uh you know the disruption on mental health and uh yeah it's going to be it's going to hopefully be another another biggie Another big hit. We hope. I hope that's the plan. You know, it's always like these, these these fun projects are always such low budget, but they're always the ones that really pop and the ones you're most proud of. Um, and it's kind of cool to like have a, a good cause attached to it as well as just making fun shit, <laughs> which is usually my main angle. I'm just like, what is the most fun we can have with this? So what was kind of the first pitch for that, for those listeners who haven't seen it? And then what's kind of been the recent, you know, uh, comments or what are people saying about it? It is a very like, you know, dark comedy, but tell me a little more about the idea and that type of thing. Well, the idea was basically when we, we knew that the toys themselves were, they kind of had each film was broken into the sort of film was broken into three commercials. So uh, there's PTSD paralyzed and dead and, they all came, those key themes came from Darren. Um, and we knew there had to be sort of an exploration of each, um, each of those kind of like very, very serious themes, which people can sort of shy away from. And one of the main concerns is actually, you know, trying to get the support of veterans rather than people thinking we were just, you know, mocking it, which could be very easily uh, conveyed in this kind of very sensitive climate we, we live in. So, we, one of the first things we did was actually get a sort of charity, veterans charity on board and they funded it. So we knew with their protection, we were sort of, we were free to kind of explore the hardest hitting, the most funny, the most brutal. And I guess the, the PTSD um, script was always going to have tragically the, the main character, like killing himself. Um, and that sort of journey that the sort of descent, uh, that descent from having once been a veteran falling, uh, you know, through mental illness and ultimately committing suicide. The paralyzed was the sort of the irony of, you know, having again, been a veteran, 
been supported by a government and then having your benefits cancelled and then having to return to work, even though you've received like shrapnel or some kind of, uh, you know, crippling injury. And then dead was the, obviously the most ironic in itself where, you know, the sort of posthumous medal of being awarded to a dead soldier isn't really, uh, I mean, it's, it's sort of, you know, it's, it's, it says it all in, in that one act, I think. Um, and also like what was most interesting was that I was, I was a huge fan of the boy who could fly when I was a kid, the movie with um, Fred Savage. So that was kind of one of the things that in, in that movie, uh, it's a real kind of, you know, it's kind of trashy, trashy kids movie and jumping off on the bad bandwagon of like fly the navigator and stuff. But there's a scene in it where Fred Savage buries his soldiers and that was some, that was kind of an inspiration for that for that dead action man. Where even though it was a kid, it was kind of a, sort of a kid living in his own fantasy. And that's I guess something that I'm also quite interested in as far as my work in general is that sort of adultification of childhood or the, the childhoodification of adulthood, but <laughs> um, the adolescence of, of, of adulthood. That kind of grey area, which is that's where a lot of my work I think exists. My music videos as well, and that sort of um. Some people just say, oh, yeah, your work's like really fun and real childlike, but there's a sort of darkness to it. I don't know if I'm like working through childhood trauma myself, but there's definitely a kind of, there is a definite kind of catharsis, cathartic, um, you know, working through, I guess with a lot of like people, you know, do what we do. You sort of, you don't, you're not really aware of why you're doing something until you, re- until someone else tells you and then you go, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I think I mean, maybe I've got like a fucked up childhood. For those who haven't seen it, it's not necessarily stop motion. It's more like uh, a kid's commercial, right? The kids are kind of playing with these toys. So how does that lead to You Cannot Kill David Arquette? It seems like a, a kind of a, a zigzag. Like, tell me a little more about like pitching that and joining that project. Well, basically, um, one, of my, uh, one of my dear friends, uh, Dog, who ended up co-directing with me, he, um, he, he was attached to a production company in L.A., and I was initially coming out to write and start production on a totally different film. So uh, there's a film called Shredder, which is basically uh, sort of karate kid with electric guitars. Let's, let's call it that. So I was initially coming out to start production on that. And very, all very exciting was that I left London. I was like, yeah, it's going to happen. I can't believe it. You know, really excited coming to Hollywood and, um, after three days, I was in uh, the Irwin, the hotel in Venice, and I just hadn't heard from the office, and I'd flown around, you know, all the way around the world. And they were like, okay, here's the deal. We're only funded for documentaries at our production company, so we can't, we can't make Shredder. And I'm like, well, it's a written movie that I, you know, I'm a screenwriter, and I, it's a written kind of premise, so it's a bit late to hear this now. You know, it's one of those classic one of those classic Hollywood things where it just slips, the main thing slips through the gaps. And then when they actually come back, circle back around, as they love to say, it was like, okay, so it just fell through. So pretty much the next day, they threw this pitch from our Kets people at CAA. And we're like, look, this has come in. It's a dock, but it's wrestling. I think you can, you can maybe work an angle on this because you're such a genre guy and you kind of do this sort of, parody the genre they know that i'm kind of obsessed with action movies and that kind of stuff um and then i basically wrote a treatment that was just adhering to a three-act 
John Albertson structure, um, or in all the tropes, the sort of Karate Kid, Rocky, um, all the sort of 80s retro tropes, all the things I love that I used to kind of be embarrassed by. And now I kind of like lean in. I'm like, nah, it's all the, that's all the shit I love the most. And I'm not embarrassed to say it anymore. You know, I'm, I'm obsessed with like Verhoeven, uh, Paul Verhoeven, who did like Robocop. And I love John Alverton and probably John Anderson there. So it's sort of like, that's kind of my lane. So I sort of wrote this treatment, did it very quickly uh, in, in like a day and a half. I pitched it back. I was initially going to do it on my, on my own as well, but I'd never shot a documentary. So I got dog. I was like, dog, man. We, you know, we're all buds. Like he's dogs, an amazing documentarian. He's like a traditional, you know, he'll, he'll definitely win like an Oscar for a documentary one day. He's like, he does incredible humanitarian work. He was working for like a Christian organization in, um, in Haiti. So he's like, he's been in the trenches in that sort of, in that world. And then my world was scripted comedy. I mean, I'm a comedy guy. So, you know, scripted comedy and, you know, action movie parody. So I wrote this thing. I was like, look, man, you should just come help. You should come and shoot this because I've never, I've never shot doc. Um, but it's, but the Arquettes loved it. They loved the approach. They loved the sort of, I guess, the meta reworking of what a documentary could be. And also because the subject matter in wrestling is basically that. It's this, it's, it blurs the line of reality and fiction quite well. And I wanted to, really wanted the movie to do that. Um, so it was, it was literally approached like a three-act structure classic. Um, you know, I mean, I even used like mu- music from Karate Kid in it. Um, in the edit with um, with Paul Rogers, it was like the best the best 21 weeks of my life. But yeah, that was kind of it. We were greenlit two days after, and we we we, we just started filming like the next week. Um, it was meant to be like a seven month production, including edit. Ended up being just under three years. Classic. <laughs> I moved from a lot. I moved from London to LA to permanently make it. Um, Dog, unfortunately, was, was was trapped in Virginia pretty much the whole production. So I just I just ran with it. He he sort of helped start the first first fifteen minute first act, and then I kind of ran with it. And then um, he did a he did a great uh, he did a great couple of weeks edit on it when he was available like a year and a half later and a bit more shooting. And then it came back to me and Paul and we. Yeah, we sort of uh, put all the put all the madness on it, um, but yeah, it's it's been it's been an amazing ride, man. The, one of the highlights is actually Arquette when they finally realised what I was doing. Uh, you know, we had a lot of you know the edit was quite difficult because we uh, we delivered Paul and myself delivered a one hour cut of all the, the key written scenes or the, the most the scenes that were approached beforehand. Um, and a sort of a, more in a kind of genre tropes, uh, sort of fictional way. And the one hour kill, it like killed. I had both David and his wife crying, his wife saying, this isn't a documentary, it's a movie, I can't believe it. You know, it feels like a movie. And I'm like, yeah, it's what, what I pitched. But they just never really, they didn't really, until you see it, how do you know? It's like, it, it started as a doc. And I was like, I'm not going to make a doc, I'm going to make it like a feature film, going to include actors, all these things, you know, heighten scenes, write dialogue, and, you know, just kind of heighten everything in a kind of hyperbolic style. Um, but then during production, uh, they got the fear because, we, you know, we shot the movie, we shot it non-union as a documentary where David Arquette can shoot a documentary non-union. Um, 
and I'm this is like I'm just talking about this really now because the movie's out, and I think you know people, you know, the, the kind of that gray area. What is a documentary? It's quite interesting now. So it's still technically a doc, but it just happens to be so heightened in a wrestling style. It can exist as a sort of you know. I see it as more as a sort of a dark sports action comedy, really, in a doc style. That's how I sort of refer to it. So what, what was their initial pitch to you? Like when you first met David Arquette in his real life, was he like, I think he'd like just gotten sober and lost some weight. Is that kind of when you met him or where was he at? And, and what was that initial pitch? And what did, like, what did you add on to? Well, the first idea was a quite a dry 30, 30, let's follow him. He loves wrestling. He it was, you know, it was going to be this return to wrestling because of his real involvement in the nineties. So it did come from a real place. It really did. So saying that David really wanted to do it, but I had no idea, you know, myself and Doug, when we were, when he was, when Doug was, was helping shooting in that early stage, when that happened, weren't like, we weren't really sure what was going to happen because, you know, you hear a lot of, you know, immediately off the page, it screamed like a vanity project. So that was something that I was very concerned about. So that was the reason I wanted to heighten everything and make it turn it into this, kind of almost a, a, a kind of more an exploration on like aging in Hollywood and maybe turn the, the turn the mirror on him as well as just following him wrestling around America, which was pretty much the initial pitch. It was like a very dry, you know, straight up linear. He's going to get fit. He's going to do the work and what people will love, will love him at the end. But, in my opening page in my treatment I wrote which was the thing that he responded to the most I was like look dude the only way this is going to work is that if, if we make you look the worst you've ever looked you're going to have to look like the biggest schlubby fuck up in Hollywood and whether you think that's a sort of you know uh, Joaquin Phoenix I'm still here or whether you think it's real or an expose on your on situation we're, we're, we're going to make that we're going to kind of leave that a mystery um but that was the thing that he loved the most. He was like on the on the on the call. He was just like, yeah, man, fuck yeah, I love that. I love that. So as soon as he said that, it was like cool. All right, he gets it. And it was like I had, the opening scene was that he wakes up in his nightclub like with alcohol, you know, with bottles around. Basically, hugely inspired by Aronofsky's The Wrestler. And I was it was going to kind of weave the wrestler with I'm still here, but obviously doing my sort of comedic spin on it, and then and then peppering it with all the Albertson tropes. Um, you know, and and I also threw in like a, a John Hughes like red dress reveal. I don't know if you, you, you knew that reference, but that's the kind of his you know the wife appearance at the end of Christina. That was a huge John Hughes reference as well, um, with the same very similar music initially. Um, so it was just like taking a sort of simple idea and just like styling it the fuck out basically, and knowing. You know, knowing we had to see a guru and Mexico, it was initially going to be Mexico or Japan. I wanted to do Mexico because of the lucha. This just seems way more Hollywood. Um, and and we knew that we, I mean, the, 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 when we shot, Doug actually was, he was in Mexico on, on that one. And the fun we had in Mexico, is, it's one of the, my favorite pieces, but one of the like, favorite sequences. It's like, that was the most fun to shoot. And, um, Probably the most structured as far as like prepping and knowing that, okay, the street wrestling, when we discovered about it, I was like, oh, God, I think this should feel like a Tony Scott 
film. You know, this should be like a Tony Scott sequence. Um, so he, before we shooting, knowing that we had to have the long lens, short depth of field on the slow motion jump. So just all these moments I knew that had to be captured beforehand to hit, hit those action movie tropes, um, as well as observing it. Um, but, you know, at the same time, I kept the nutter, you know, so he almost, you know, he, he did almost like have his jugular cut <laughs> doing a death match. And I, that was not planned. That was just for him just doing it. And like dog was shooting that and that was fucking terrifying. Um, but, you know, again, just heightened with the, you know, I basically took, took the sort of soundtrack from, from Blue Ruin and, those the brothers are amazing and just kind of amped the sort of horror in that in that moment uh, in the in the edit room so it was sort of i guess amplifying existing things so uh, as far as being very lucky with things like you know uh, not lucky for him because he, he was so close to a serious injury but knowing that this will make a cut and it will it can amplify you know and seeing people like throw popcorn in the air was one of the greatest things i've ever seen um like a filmmaker to be honest i know that's a bit sadistic right so you approached it kind of like a hybrid method so like in it you know your earlier work is all i would assume storyboarding and prep where this is like you know certain shots you want to get but you're also you know in the moment to some degree right yeah which is more i would say more a bit more like a music video so it's kind of like you're just capturing a music video with dialogue and sort of um knowing that i mean dog was very good at just the sort of as far as like uh, David's like confessional, his sort of interviews to camera, which which do kind of there's a couple of good moments in the film that kind of add a little bit of emotion. So, but I was always into the more following it like a sort of observational protagonist story, which is which is actually more in the edit. But and then by the end of the film, I'm like, oh, I'm really into the the confessional again. So there's a moment where he proclaims he's a fuck up he's always been a fuck up and he'll never not be a fuck up so that was just me on his couch having by this point having i, I had been around i lived in la for two and a half years i'd become part of the family knowing that at a crucial moment in their private lives as long as i force my way into the lounge with him we'll get some amazing stuff um but i guess that level of intimacy was you know that's something that I guess you can only do with, with that length of filming, you know, to, to like, to, you know, they, David was, he was so like, David Arquette was so cool as far as giving access to his life, his family's life. But then to actually let someone open up, which was my main concern was that kind of always being on. And he was on a lot, but as that third act comes around, that's all pretty fucking real. And that's just from me being around the whole time. Um, like a bad smell basically i was gonna say did you have any like interview experience or was it more just about those first few you know phone calls where you said we we want to be you know as dark and as real as possible was that mainly what led to everything else pretty much i mean he knew he was all in like our cat was all in he was just like once it once it kind of once we started shooting um I don't think that anyone ever read the treatment. That's like a classic, a classic exec move where, you know, because when they, when they started getting a little scared about the, the level of like orchestrating around, because to be honest, a lot of the sort of negative 
the negative messages you see in the movie from fans was all planned and all fed. All that dialogue has been fed by me, um, like before we started filming, and then kind of ha- the, even the fans having to be in character, which for wrestling fans is totally part of that role. You have that engagement with the wrestlers themselves, so you are you're engaging with a heel who's a bad guy or a baby face who's a good guy, and that level of interaction you can you're almost heightening your own your own sort of interaction. So I, it wouldn't have worked with boxing fans because we were getting fans to kind of almost play characters as well. Um, like when the Virginia sequence, that was all pre-prepped. The, the level of venom, uh, animosity and hate was all just in character, really. Um, I, mean, I don't know how much of this I'm allowed to say, but I'm just like, yeah, the film's out, it's doing well. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to give some like, behind-the-curtain stuff. Um, but again, you know, it's still David's journey. He's still committed and it's still like his... It was his path as his redemption but as far as a film to watch as a spectacle for a viewer i knew i just knew that like we had to hit all these things so a lot of scenes were blocked out beforehand we reset scenes completely um like literally like cut okay we're going back to one you know and then because we only had like two cameras and a lot of this stuff so resetting and restructuring was part of it but as you're making a you know, it's a documentary about wrestling, which, which is in itself a fabricated battle. I think we had some kind of creative license to do that. So, you know, so we weren't like going to be stepping on like, you know, any toes as far as, um, you know, uh, Actors Guild and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, it's like one of those things we sort of, you know, we, we still observed everything that happened in front of the camera, <laughs> if you know what I mean. What did he feel? Is there anything maybe outside of the film? Like, what did Arquette feel about going into wrestling? Obviously, he loves it, but most mostly what we see are the wrestlers going into films, not the other way around. So, like, how did what were some of his thoughts on that approach? Like, I guess what were some of his early conversations like about him making this giant commitment to get in shape and get hurt and do all these things in his mid forties? I mean, the main the main the main tag that he kept hammering home was that this has to be a love letter to wrestling so we're not making a vice expose docuseries about the dark side of wrestling and you know in in reality all the wrestlers who we all got to know so intimately they all don't really respond to movies like the wrestler or that dark or that the sort of um the dark side of the map um just because it's only it's just a one note it's sort of a one note kind of a sensationalist uh, angle and this had to be kind of everything which is quite difficult to do if you're doing it in 90 minutes to show like wrestling in, in its nature you know initially uh, David want, wanted to have the origins of wrestling uh, and us go through how it all built up in America but you just run out of time and it wasn't really a I always felt that the best way for a viewer to understand what it was was to just be with the protagonist and let them learn in those kind of baby steps and how scary how energetic um, and just the sort of, I guess the, the danger element, which is so real, you know, people die in the ring. Um, and he was, he was so determined. He was like 46 when he started, he wanted to do a lot, you know, he wanted to make a love letter and he always he loved wrestling since he was a kid. It's in the film. It's like him going to Andre the giant, um, you know, match with Hogan back in the sort of, uh, late eighties. 
And he, he just, he, he was, his main concern and his main notes were just like, look, it has to be a love letter. It can't ever be sensationalist. And, that. and the, the message and the response we got from all of the wrestlers was, especially like people like DDP, who's someone I sort of knew as a kid, um, that it, it, it went down, you know, perfectly well. And, you know, the response was amazing, um, which was, you know, it's, you always hope you don't, you're not, not going to alienate or anger the people that you're focusing the work on. So that was kind of, that was, that was pretty cool to be honest. And not, d- dude, I mean, I was a huge wrestling fan with my brother in like the late eighties. So we met like Jake, the snake, um, you know, there's like people from my childhood who we met making this and like, I, I'm like shaking. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, Oh my God, it's a fucking, ha- it's a hack. Jim Duggan. Like I'm like, freaking out um and then they're all the nicest sweetest you know nicest sweetest guys who have this you know they kind of live these personas um but all sweethearts living in this kind of living in this sort of childhood fantasy that ends up helping his real life i've mentioned that before but that's something i thought that was a good sort of take-home message that david arquette got to live his childhood fantasy which ironically ended up helping his real life as an adult, um, which I, I guess is kind of one of my one of my parables I live by. I guess I really enjoyed the film. It does look like you know Arquette's got six or seven movie he, he's in coming out soon. Um, from your perspective, like knowing him, how has this film, besides like the film itself, like has this led to other work for you? Has this led to other work for David? Did did that you know purpose come to fruition? I mean, David's like Arquette's. He's he's a workhorse he's he's never not worked even though in the in the film we kind of edit make, to make it look like he hasn't worked and he hasn't done anything in 10 years um we're just those heightening those moments to make him look like a bit of a sort of uh, failure in that capacity just to kind of give some i guess objective emotional feels um there was a lot of opposition of that sort of stuff in the edit where we had him uh you know we had him in an audition not doing very well um and I guess some of those things can be viewed as, well, you know, would like to work as an actor in the future, so maybe don't have me, like, fucking up too hard as an actor, um, which I totally understand. But, you know, I was always like, coming at it from a totally objective angle where you want people who don't know who you are to really feel your pain. And you're still a multimillionaire with, a, you know, an amazing family and you have a career. So it's sort of like it's quite hard to engage you know, with someone who, to the to the layman, has it all. Um, but to be honest, he's had a spike. He's had a he's had a resurgence, like David. And um, one of the coolest things he messaged me after the film was when he was like, when he was like, man, I, I just thank you so much. I know it was hard, but like we, you know, everyone forgets all the, you know, the sort of the the problems during editorial. But as soon as like the film comes out, it's well received you know, the really amazing Rotten Tomatoes scores and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, he the, he got a, um, I can't really talk about it too much, but I can say that he, he got an offer from a major Hollywood action star offering him a role. And I was like, and I always said, look, man, you're going to get action movie roles. You're going to kind of spike back in. And I know that that was he's something he thanked me for because it, it sort of happened. Um, I don't know about, I think Corona put a little... <laughs> little stop on the on those productions but um you know so he he's had a bit of a resurgence i mean dog is still doing his docu his documentary stuff he'll kill karen he'll he'll definitely win an oscar for a 
you know, he does like very emotionally uh, engaging uh, humanitarian work. And for myself, I sort of, I kind of found myself in this lane, I guess, of, of genre doc. And that's what we're, we're going through. I've got two more projects that we're going to kind of stay in that lane of um, potentially a, a sort of martial arts uh, movie in the same vein, but more sort of supernatural and amplifying, I guess what, it, what kind of not a mockumentary because everyone thinks of like David Guest, but what can a genre doc be basically a lo-fi documentary shot beautifully, but you're hitting all the genre beats and that's the stuff I'm kind of interested in. Um, and I guess it feels quite modern now that we all shoot with our phones and that's become a language in itself. I guess it's like good looking handheld footage, um, keeping, you know, keeping budgets down, but you can still hit these stories and these classic three act structures. I'm just, I'm, I'm just a kid of Don Simpson, you know, that's kind of, that's my world that I enjoy the most. Um, but there, I think there's more modern approaches to it. Um, we can kind of keep it feeling real, emotional, and a bit kind of more, um, a bit more grounded. Like ground, or a, if you can ground a, a genre movie in dark reality, that's I think that that's my my lane, which I realised it works because the film works, and I was so happy that everything worked. Everything that was everything that was strategized came out beautifully well, and. And I, that's something that has really given me faith as like a writer as well. Um, and I sort of, I guess, like comedy director where knowing that funny shit came out funny, um, even the sad stuff came out sad, you know, just like all those things that you just worry about and it gives you confidence. It's like, you know, it's my first feature film. Um, and I know, I know you're, a, you're like more of a serious, a serious screenwriter. And it's like, it's something that was always, you don't know it until you do it. <laughs> Um, and I've written so many things, but never got to make long form projects. You know, um, so many scripts I've written, so many like TV series, pilots, and stuff like that. And it's you know, it's nice to finally get some attention from that world. And I think people realise, you know, it's documentary, but there's definitely heightened, structured things. So it's going to Thank you for tuning in to the show. If it's your first time listening, make sure to hit that subscribe button and visit my new website for information on the YouTube channel, the blog, the podcast, and my new book, Ink by the Barrel, which takes advice from these 200 plus interviews and more at brockswinson.com. You'll see the link in the show notes. Thanks again.